welcome again. As I said in the call to worship, I am Pastor Bill. I don't know about you, but I'm excited about the fact that soon we are going to be able to worship in person. It'll still be in small groups and houses and backyards, but we're coming through the global pandemic and soon we will worship together in similar spaces. Well, in the call to worship, I showed you two pieces of art and tried to see if you could figure out what they both portray. Let me show you three more pieces of art. All of them portray the same thing. See if you can figure out what they are portraying. This next one is by an Indonesian artist. What do you notice about the shapes? What do you notice about the shapes at the top of the picture and then at the bottom of the picture? This fourth one is by a British artist and it should be starting to dawn on you now what they are all portraying. Again, notice the color, notice the movement. And now this fifth one, if you haven't figured it out by now, it's going to make it perfectly clear to you. This one by an Australian artist. All of these artists are portraying Pentecost. And at the end of the service today, I'll actually, we'll have some more slides of some other international art of Pentecost, as well as some links if you want to explore it further. The word Pentecost simply means 50. And the Christian significance to Pentecost is that 50 days after Jesus celebrated the Last Supper with his disciples in the upper room, 50 days after Passover, the Holy Spirit of God fell upon the early Christians in a sudden and dramatic way. Pentecost Sunday this year will be May 23rd. As I said in the call to worship, we are in that time period after the resurrection when Jesus would have been teaching his disciples about the kingdom of God. And he told them to wait, to wait, to not leave Jerusalem until the gift that he had promised from God had come to them. So Jesus ascended to heaven and the disciples waited in Jerusalem for whatever this was, this baptism of the Holy Spirit that Jesus promised. And then on Pentecost, it happened. We read about it in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire. Hopefully you saw that in many of those art artist paintings. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them utterance. And then we read in verse 12 that a crowd had gathered and we read, all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? So this last month at Cornerstone, we've been exploring 
the Holy Spirit. I began the series with a panoramic view of all the things that the Holy Spirit provides to us that we so desperately need at this point in an age of COVID in our lives right now. And we saw, we were reminded that God gives the Spirit without limit to those who will ask, seek, and knock. And then Pastor Linda led us to explore the new life that we receive in the Spirit. New life that frees us from our past failures, frees us from our sins, but also new life that forms us and molds us and shapes us and uses us to make a difference for good in the world. And then last week, Pastor Hojin led us to, to reminded us that the Holy Spirit is our companion. The Holy Spirit is our best friend. If God is our Father, our Papa, our Abba, our Appa, Jesus is our brother and our Savior and our leader, the Holy Spirit is our BFF. The Holy Spirit is our best friend forever. So up to now, we've been talking about being filled with the life of the, of the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, walking with the Spirit as our comforter and our friend. And these are the common ways that the Holy Spirit works with us as we engage in our spiritual practices. There is a communion, a friendship, a oneness, a direction that we receive from the Holy Spirit. But today I want to talk about a more extraordinary way the Spirit sometimes chooses to work with us. Walking in the Spirit, being filled with the Spirit, is normally gradual and incremental as we engage in our spiritual practices. Today I want to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is usually not gradual. It's very often sudden. It's usually not incremental, but it's very often disruptively overwhelming. As we read in Acts 2.12, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is often both amazing and perplexing. And we see this, this overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit in a number of places in the Old Testament. But I just want to point out three places in the New Testament where we see this overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit. The first two are upon groups. The third one is upon an individual. The first one, of course, is the day of Pentecost, what we just read about. But look at this slide. And notice what is highlighted and bolded and underlined in red. Listen to this kind of work of the Spirit. It comes suddenly. There was a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house. Divided tongues of fire fell. Everyone was filled with the Holy Spirit. All were amazed and perplexed and asked, what does this mean? Now, please remember, before Jesus left, before he ascended to heaven, we read in John chapter 20, verse 22, that Jesus breathed the Holy Spirit upon his disciples. So his disciples already had the Spirit before Pentecost. Pentecost was something different. Something similar happened in Acts chapter 4. The Apostle Peter and John had been arrested by the religious leaders, the ones who had condemned Jesus to die, and they were told to stop teaching in the name of Jesus, and miraculously they were let free. 
And Peter and John go back and they gather with the disciples and the disciples lift up a prayer. And we, um, starting with verse um, 27 in Acts chapter 4, we read part of their prayer. We hear their prayer where they said, Sovereign Lord, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And then it happened again. In Acts 4.31, we read, After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and spoke the word of God boldly. Again, these followers of Jesus, when Peter and, and John came back after they'd been arrested, they already had the Holy Spirit. So it becomes kind of evident as you read the scriptures that we don't receive all of the Spirit at salvation. Every time, at the point of salvation, every single one of us, the Spirit comes and dwells within us. But after salvation, there is a continual growing, deepening, oneness, filling with the Spirit. And sometimes there is this baptism of the Holy Spirit that comes upon us suddenly and in unmistakable and shaking ways. We see it again in the, with the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Remember, Paul came to Christ. He was converted in Acts chapter 9, and he received then the Holy Spirit. But then he writes this in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, and he writes it in the third person, but he's writing about himself. Paul writes, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ, Paul himself, who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, Paul, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things that no one is permitted to tell. I think that what Paul is talking about in 2 Corinthians 12 is an overwhelming baptism by fire with the Holy Spirit. Now, if you've been in the church very long, you know that there is a lot of debate in the church about the Holy Spirit and a lot of debate about this baptism of the Holy Spirit. So years ago, I decided I was going to try to figure out what did the Bible actually say about how the Holy Spirit works with us. So I decided to read through the book of Acts, and every place where it talked about um, the Holy Spirit showing up, I decided to find the order of operations of the Holy Spirit. What happened first, what happened second, what happened third, what happened fourth, and so on. And by the way, you don't need a seminary degree to do this, this biblical study of the book of Acts. If you just read through, you can do the same thing. And if you read the book of Acts carefully, I think you'll find what I found. And that is that there is no defined order of operations of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts. Sorry, those of you with gifts of administration, 
the Holy Spirit doesn't follow a set of rules or, or some understanding, theological understanding of what he's supposed to do and what he's not supposed to do. So what I came to the conclusion with my reading of the book of Acts is this. The Holy Spirit does what the Spirit wants to do whenever the Spirit wants to do it. The Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit wants to do when the Holy Spirit wants to do it. The Holy Spirit will never go against the character of God. That would be utterly impossible. The Spirit is always true to the character of God. But after that, the Spirit defies being put into a box. The Spirit of God is a fire of God's presence, is not defined by human theology. It's not controllable or manipulable. The Holy Spirit does what the Holy Spirit wants when the Holy Spirit wants to do it. I don't know about you. That's a little bit frightening. Lots of times I would rather have a God that I could control, that I could predict, that I could do a formula and make sure that he did what I thought he was supposed to do. But at the same time, I find it profoundly enticing. The spirit of the living God is not here to conform to my expectations. The Holy Spirit is not my pet. The Holy Spirit is the fire of God's presence. May very well, at some points in my life and in your life, fall upon us with sudden, perplexing, and amazing ways like the Spirit did on the day of Pentecost. So let me share with you two of those experiences in my life where I felt this overwhelming presence of the Holy Spirit. In 1984, I know it was long before lots of you were born, in 1984 I was a young 29-year-old pastor in the International Church in Tegucigalpa, Honduras. And I ached, I just ached for more of the power of the Holy Spirit in me and in our church. And I cried out to God for months to show me unmistakably that he was still at work in the world and that he would work through his followers. And then one Tuesday morning, in the church office all by myself, kneeling down in front of a, a small couch that was in my office, the Spirit fell on me. And I felt this pressing in my chest that was so intense that my first thought was, oh no, I can't take this much of God. And, and I was tempted to say, God, stop. But my second thought was, God, I don't want you to stop. I always want to know this kind of awareness of your presence. I want to be filled with your presence in all my being. 35 years later, when I tell you that story, I still feel the pressure on my chest of this overwhelming visitation from the Holy Spirit. Well, a few years after that, still as a young pastor in our church in, in Honduras, there had been an all-out civil war in the church about, of all things, the Holy Spirit. And it got mean, and it got ugly, 
And there were a number in the congregation who were convinced that I, as their pastor, was the greatest obstacle to the Holy Spirit doing its work in our church. Well, in the middle of that civil war, it came to a summer that Marla and I went back to the States for home leave. And, um, and one morning on home leave, um, in Wilmington, South Carolina, we were, had a house on the beach, and I woke up very, very early in the morning. It was 4.30 in the morning. And I was in such turmoil that I couldn't get to sleep, so I decided I'm just gonna take a walk on the beach. So I went for a four-hour walk on the beach. And I cried out loud because nobody else was going to hear me cry. And I, and I said, God, if I am an obstacle to the fullness of your spirit for your people, then as much as it hurts, I will step away. I will step aside. And I cried and I cried. I walked two hours one direction and then turned around and walked two hours back. And right before I got back to the beach house where we were staying, I clearly heard the Spirit of God say this, Bill, I will not save you from being crucified in the ministry, but I will give you life through it. Those are the conditions. Decide now, are you in or are you out? I so powerfully heard the voice of the Spirit. And I said, I'm in. I am all in. And over the last three decades, I have hardly considered ever doing anything else other than being a pastor because I heard the promise of the Holy Spirit that if I would stay faithful no matter what, the Spirit would give me life. Brothers and sisters, these Baptisms of the Holy Spirit are also seen throughout church history. I wish I had time to, to read dozens of first-hand accounts. I wish I could read you the, about the 1906 Azusa Street Revival, led by African-American men and really powerful, godly African-American women that launched the Pentecostal movement in, across the globe in the last century. I wish I could read you from, from diaries of person after person followers of Jesus who've experienced and found words to talk about this kind of baptism in the Holy Spirit. But let me just read two of them to you um, that, who I think you'll be familiar with their names in church history. Thomas Aquinas was the most brilliant theologian philosopher of the Middle Ages. His work um, of his life was called the Summa Theologica. It was, the, in English, the Summary of Theology. And it was written in the 13th century. And it's still required reading in a lot of Catholic seminaries to this day. I had to read it when I was in seminary. And, and, and the mind of Thomas Aquinas was utterly brilliant. But one of the foundations of Aquinas's thinking was that it was impossible for anyone to have a direct experience of God. The only way we could know God, Aquinas said, was through faith and through reason. We could not have a direct experience with God. Then, one of his biographers writes, then 
After spending the whole of his life demonstrating how man has no direct contact with God, Aquinas, shortly before his death, had such an overwhelming direct experience of God that he wrote no more. Urged by a friend to complete his Summa Theologica, he answered, I can write no more. Such things have been revealed to me that all I have written seems as straw. And now I await the end of my life. Blaise Pascal, one of the greatest mathematical minds of Western intellectual history, lived from 1623 to 1662. At 17 years old, he devised the first calculating machine, which was the basis of all calculators until the electronic age. He came up with a theory of probability. He discovered the physical laws that make possible modern hydraulic systems. Pascal, the towering intellect, met the Spirit of God one day and he wrote a description of it, and he sewed it into the inside of his jacket so he could open his jacket and reread what happened to him on that day. He wrote this, this day of grace, 1654. From about half past 10 at night to about half past midnight, fire, God of Abraham, God of Isaac, God of Jacob, not of philosophers and the wise. Security, security, feeling, joy, peace. God of Jesus Christ, thy God shall be my God. Forgetfulness of the world and all save God. He can be found only in ways taught in the gospel. Greatness of the human soul. God, righteous Father, the world has not known you, but I have known you. Joy, 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 tears of joy. This is life eternal, that they might know you, the only true God, and him who you sent, Jesus Christ. May I never be separated from him. Renunciation, total and sweet. So, how do we get this baptism of the Holy Spirit? Sorry, but we don't. Remember, the Spirit does what the Spirit wants when the Spirit wants to do it. As I said before, the Holy Spirit is not our pet. There's not a formula. We cannot make the Spirit, the fire of God, conform to our will. While it does seem that we are more likely to experience a baptism of the Spirit when we are receptive to it, the baptism of the Spirit is still always a sovereign act of God. God can choose or not to pour out his Spirit upon us at any time. So what's the point? Why preach a sermon about the baptism of the Holy Spirit if we can't do anything about it? A number of reasons. One is to see from Scripture that this amazing and perplexing baptism of the Spirit is real. I want you to see that from the Word of God. This is real. And a second reason 
is to increase our hunger for direct experiences of God in our lives. I pray that this message on the baptism of the Spirit stirs up our spiritual hunger for more of the realness of God in our lives. In an era of COVID and systemic injustice, I pray for more of us to receive more baptisms of the Spirit because we need to know that we know that we know that we know that God is real. God is at work. God is changing us and at work in the world. In a time when many are deconstructing church and reassessing their relationship with Christ, we need more of us to experience the reality of God's presence and then boldly share our stories. That's one of the things that happens when the Spirit comes upon us. We become bold. We boldly share our stories of the utter reality of God in our lives in unmistakable ways. And our world desperately needs to see a different generation of Christians passionately afflicted with a hunger for the reality and presence and power of God in us as we fulfill the mission of God for mercy and justice for all. Our world doesn't need to see more fair-weather Christians who are here today and worldly and gone tomorrow. Richard Rohr is a Franciscan priest. In his book, Falling Upwards, he writes, each generation has to make its own discoveries of the spirit for itself. If not, we just react to the previous generation and often overreact. Or we conform and then often overconform. Neither is a positive or creative way to move forward. No pope, Bible quote, psychological technique, religious formula, or guru can do your journey for you. Let me read that first sentence again. Each generation has to make its own discoveries of the Spirit for itself. Another Catholic priest, Canadian priest by the name of Ronald Rollheiser, says the same thing. Listen to what he says. He says, every generation needs to experience Pentecost for itself. It needs God's Spirit, and it needs it in its own particular way. Scripture assures us that the Holy Spirit is not a generic force, one size fits all, but a person, a relationship, a spirit that has particular manifestations and gives itself to each of us uniquely so that the understanding and strength we receive are geared to help us in our own particular struggles. As we are going through this sermon series on the Holy Spirit, as we're moving towards Pentecost Sunday, let's pray for each of us to have a particularized Pentecost in whatever ways the Lord wants it to happen to us. In the age of COVID and systemic injustice, as so many are reevaluating so many things, many of us have reevaluated our relationship with work, we've reevaluated our relationship with where we want to live. Many of us are reevaluating our relationship with the church and with Christianity, and as I said before, maybe even with Christ. I pray that as we emerge from the global pandemic,
that every one of us will reassess, will reevaluate our relationship with the Holy Spirit. So I began to dream um, and think of, of what might happen in this generation if we did have a particularized Pentecost, if we rediscovered the reality of God's presence in our lives. What might happen if we did that is that we might be healed and we might be empowered and we might be emboldened. Might we then encourage rich spaces of multicultural expressions to put an end to every form of racism? Might we address injustice in powerful, strategic, and grace-filled, loving ways? Might we sacrificially care for the poor as Jesus has instructed us to do? Might we steward our education and our ethnicity and our agency for the common good? Cornerstone, if we in our church discover the filling of and the walking in the Spirit and this sudden particularized baptizing fire of the Spirit, how might it change our lives? How might it change our cities? How might it change our world? So let me close the message before we celebrate communion with one other result of discovering the Spirit in our generation. I found this quote in the article in which I discovered many of the Asian art, of the Asian artists of Pentecost. And the blogger writes this. She says, as at Pentecost, Parthians, Medes, and Elamites heard the message, every person in their own tongue wherein they were born, so we see Chinese and Japanese and Indians expressing Christianity's universal language, each with their own brush. For when the Spirit of God descends upon any people, new forms of beauty appear, new artistic gifts are revealed, adding another testimony to the universality of the Christian faith. How might a particularized Pentecost in your life lead you to new experiences and new forms of beauty in you and through you and in and through all the followers of Jesus. Amen.